Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Today we're going to talk about uh, 2019, what we've got planned for that on uh, the uh, podcast uh, and on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. And I'm going to talk about a little um, dark night of the soul, uh, soul searching that took place over Christmas that led me to my current plans for 2019. And lastly, I'm going to talk about perspective from a player's point uh, and uh, talk about how that has uh, informed some of the decisions that I've made for my upcoming year of gaming. So that's what we got in the channel or on the agenda for today. Let's get to it. So I think what I'll do is I'm going to tackle these things in uh, the reverse order. Um, One of the things that I had made a decision uh, to try and increase in uh, 2019 over what I had been doing in 2018 is to play more games. Uh, I have played in a handful of games or a handful of sessions at least in uh, 2018. And each of those sessions I came away with a better uh, perspective on uh, things I like about um, certain games or things I like in certain sessions or things that I just didn't care for. And not because of the um, quality of any of the uh, DMs that ran it, all the DMs I played with in uh, 2019 or 2018 uh, were terrific and, and did a really great job. Um, there were just a couple things about the style of gameplay that have uh, affected what I was, uh, what I had planned for 2019. And there's three things really in particular, three different games that uh, either I played or was in the process of preparing to play. Uh, one of the ones I played was uh, Cypher, with uh, Cypher System with my buddy uh, Sean. And that game, the game was great. He did a great job of running it. It was this fun, like, Star Wars uh, session that was, uh, uh, it's, it's a really complicated um, uh, adventure that deals with, uh, basically, it's, you're playing Rogue One. I'm trying to find a, a more generous way of saying it, but it's a really complicated uh, mission where, like, every, it, it's broken down into a bunch of different sort of um, encounters, and then each different team kind of tries to execute different parts of the plan, and then overall, it fits into whether assault on singularity base is what it's called. It affect whether the Rebel Alliance or the Airsats Rebel Alliance is successful. And he ran it, did a great job. We had some fun players that were in it. I enjoyed role playing the character, but the thing I really just didn't grok was the cypher system itself um i have run cypher in the past and i really enjoyed running it because it was very easy it was you all you can do all you have to do really is just uh prep the story and you're easily able to improvise the difficulty of things and whatnot um in the course of play and the dm doesn't ever roll dice so it's pretty easy to just let the players do the majority of the work in uh when you're running that kind of game but the thing is, is the what that means is that most of the work in terms of bookkeeping is offloaded onto the uh, player, and part of that includes the requirement that the player sort of manage three different resource pools, the three different stats they have. It's uh, Cipher doesn't play like other games where you know your stats modify dice rolls or things like that. You have resource pools that you can spend to affect dice rolls. And uh, to be honest, like, I just didn't like it. Like I, I just didn't like the system. I really didn't enjoy um, playing it. And the real the reason was was because it felt so gamist, while at the same time feeling kind of meaningless. You know, and by that I mean like a, I, I didn't like having to continually think of my character in terms of these specific mechanics. Like I was constantly going back to my sheet to to deal with it. So I, I didn't like that aspect of it. I it took me out of the story. And um, 
The other thing I, I didn't care for was the uh, uh, the way that um, the contributions really it all came down to, to d20 rules and, and sort of like the way that all task resolution is is dealt with in cypher is through a, a roll of a d20 and this kind of game it continually had me you know like all the numbers i was rolling against seemed to kind of end up feeling the same you know it was around the same difficulty and and whatnot so it just kind of, I, I didn't feel a meaningful connection between the dice rolls and the outcomes and what was happening. And I guess one final thing I'll say about the system is that I really hated having only one action to do. And if I was playing a system that played faster, then I would not dislike it as much. Um, but because you only have one thing to do, so you can move or you can take an action or you can attack or whatever, use a special power. That's all you get to do when you're around. And then every time you have to do task resolution, it becomes this conversation. There's things you need to figure out, like what the difficulty is, whether there are any modifiers to change that difficulty. Then you make a decision as to whether you're gonna spend points on it. And then you finally make the roll. And like, there's a degree to which that can be really um, immersive in a game, like in some of the story uh, game, uh, story-based dice mechanics like uh, Fantasy Flight's uh, Star Wars or their Warhammer Fantasy 3rd Edition or Legend of the Five Rings or Genesis. But I didn't feel any of that. Like there was none of that, you know, um, additional texture in those, de those decision-making things. It just felt dry and mechanical, like no less um, dry than what uh, calculating, you know, flanking bonuses in Pathfinder would be. So for those reasons, and it's, it's, again, has nothing to do with how Sean ran the game. He ran a great game. Uh, it's just that system for me as a player, I really didn't like it. Um, so that really closed off one of the games that I was really quite intent on running in the new year, which is uh, Numenera. Numenera is a uh, Another thing published by Monty Cook Games, and as much as I kind of like the setting, or I like the idea of the setting at least, I really dislike the the how the dice, how the game actually plays at the table. Like everything around that character creation is really exciting. Um, the idea of preparation is uh, uh, being rel relatively minimal is really exciting. The idea of the setting itself, which is set like a billion or ten billion years in the future, in this in the ashes of eight prior very different worlds, is super cool. But, boy, I hate the system. Like, I really dislike it. I, there was nothing about it that I found intriguing or something I could draw a lesson from for other games. And I really didn't like the formalizing of this mechanic for when DMs are going to intrude on the story. Like, it didn't feel like a fun, to me at least, it didn't feel like a fun um, organic expression. It, again, felt like a really clunky mechanic that was intruding on the story. And it felt like, to be honest, like flipping ahead in a choose-your-own-adventure and then deciding not to go down that road, which really disrupted the narrative flow. Like, it didn't feel like I was having more agency over the story, which I think is what the intent is of that. It really just felt like a really stop-start, haphazard kind of thing. And I think there's maybe ways to that I would, if I was going to run it, I would mitigate it. But because of all those strikes against it, I just... It really helped, I don't know, it really made me uh, see that particular system in a very different light and make me understand why my players may not have been quite as keen on the Cypher system as what I was as the DM, because it's a dramatically different experience from the player's perspective to the DM's perspective. So that's one of the things that got me thinking about, or from the player's perspective, that got me thinking. 
Second thing was um, playing in an other Dust game run by uh, a one-shot that I uh, played in run by my buddy Carl. And this other Dust, if you're not familiar with it, is a post-apocalyptic game that is based on the um, revised Stars Without Number, or rather, Stars Without Number. So it's a, a game published by Sydney Nominee Publishing and is written by a really talented and prolific game creator named Kevin Crawford. Um, most of Kevin's games are based, are kind of like based around the idea of playing in a sandbox. So there's some terrific uh, resources in the books for setting up those different styles of games, be it sci-fi or, you know, uh, kind of fantasy playing demigods in Godbound or post-apocalyptic in Other Dust. Gives you great resources to play with that. Now, again, Carl did a great job of running the game, but the things I particularly took away from that is, one, how much I really enjoyed the sandbox play. Like, it felt really fucking fun to play in a, uh, a setting where I was free to go and do whatever I want. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm a god and can achieve everything. It means that, you know, the world will respond in a realistic and uh, believable way to what I'm doing, and I'll have, based on my mechan on my uh, stats, I'll have a whatever chance of uh, success at achieving those things. But um, it was great, it was incredibly liberating, and we were able to do a lot of, uh, resolve some situations in really indirect ways. Uh, and that, so that was a lot of fun, and to be honest, it's the same degree of um, freedom and, and, uh, and fun that I've had in Jason Hobbs's uh, Kalmata game. I've only played it once, but I've watched quite a few sessions of it, and it's it's a great model to to learn from as to how to set up a, a sandbox game, both uh, Jason's Kalmata game and the Other Dust book as well. The other thing I really loved in that was tracking resources. So one of the things that you had to keep track of in that game was fresh water, like untainted water that had no mutagens or dangerous parasites or was otherwise unhealthy, diseased you know, water, you had to track your fresh water and you had to track food. And that just, I don't know, like for whatever reason, that really, really appealed to me. That was a, a resource management aspect that to me felt more immersive. You know, when we were tromping around on the map and we were talking amongst each other as the players, seeing how far we could go with the, you know, food and water that we had, there were certain times where we were like, well, fuck, we may run out of clean water by the time we get to this place, but we got to try, you know, and uh, that was awesome. I really, really love that. And I've been wanting to incorporate something similar in other games the idea of tracking um, food and, and water, you know, and, and encumbrance for that matter uh, in some of the OSR games that I've been running over the last six months. And as the, seeing it from the perspective of a player really made me uh, or confirmed, I should say, those suspicions that I had that that would be a fun part of it. It's not a, you know, a nuisance. It's not a, a pain in the ass thing that has no thematic uh, part of that kind of experience. Uh, it really did feel like a lot of fun and helped support the themes of that game, which was traveling in these lands is dangerous, not only because of what you'll encounter, but because you could go hungry and, and whatever. Um, for one of my upcoming games, I'm going to be... Uh, uh, using rules to help simulate that kind of play, you know, because I think that uh, it really helps to make travel through those, you know, um, travel through those dangerous lands and, 
make it feel like you're actually well out in the wilderness. If you're running down to your last uh, piece of food and your last you know, bit of water, well, maybe you're not able to just turn and run back to town. Maybe you're going to have to spend some time foraging or hunting or uh, trying to find fresh potable water. Uh, so, so that's really great. So that was a really uh, beneficial, I guess, positive you know, lesson I learned from, from being a player. And the last thing I'll mention from seeing it from a player's perspective is I'm going to be playing in a um, Curse of Strahd, a D&D 5th edition game that my buddy Adam's going to run in, uh, in the new year. I guess not the new year, this year, in 2019, at the time of recording. And uh, we were going through, and you know, in our uh, group chat, we were kind of ta- talking about what characters we're going to play and, and whatever, and I very quickly came up with this silly idea for playing a um, human druid, basically like a witch, uh, whose name is Boriza Karloff, because it's, you know, Ravenloft, and why not lean into that funny, you know, gothic horror kind of stuff. Maybe not funny, but I thought it was funny. Um... But there's a comment of that um, Adam made about the... Um, it was more like a story game kind of thing about the uh, how, you know, he's really excited to uh, meet and either understand or come to care for these characters. And there's a, a part of me that really recoiled at that where I was just like, no, nah, like, I don't give a shit about that. I, I'm not... That's not why I'm playing this character. I'm playing this character because she'll be fun to roleplay and she'll be fun to have at the table. Like she'll be a fun character, you know, quote unquote character, um, with a I think some f- f- uh, a memorable kind of contribution to the group dynamic. And that got me thinking about whether you know what I enjoy in a game, because really for this game I'm looking to show up. I want to use some spells. I want to fight some baddies. You know, it, there's going to be some story as well too. But the primary reason I'm there is the day to day play of of the game. And thinking back to some of the other characters that I played in these in these sessions, that's really what I mean. I was really focused, and what I was getting out of the game was what was immediately before me. You know, what was happening in the session, and that's it. I didn't really care about the overarching story so much. I was, you know, I would be pursuing goals if there were goals that were set before me, but I was really more focused on whatever was happening in the moment, and. That's, I think, very different from what I offer in the games that I run. And I asked a, f- a friend of mine um, at our last Barome session, I said, you know, do you, think, do you think you would enjoy playing in one of your games? And his response was a lot like mine. He's like, eh, I'm not sure I'd get out of it what I, what I want, you know? And it's funny, and I wonder how many of us would, you know, we run the type of game that we want to run is necessarily the type of game we want to play in. And that is, I, I think, an interesting... It's an interesting perspective, you know, that there are certain things where you enjoy that game. And I guess the lesson from all of this is collectively that, you know, approaching a game from the perspective of a game master or a DM or, or whatever you want to call yourself, referee, eh, whatever, a judge in Marvel Superheroes, that's a really different way of engaging with the game. And I know that's a, a pretty obvious thing, but remembering that people are getting different things as players out of the game, like dramatically different from what you get and you enjoy as a DM, that's an important distinction to make when you're planning for your campaign. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to change what you're doing, but it's good to think, okay, this is what I'm going to be seeing in this game, but what are my players going to be seeing? What are they actually going to be experiencing? What are the things that they're going to want to do and dig into, you know? And that led me to 
help trim down the list of, of games that I was going to run or had on my list of like to do's for 2019 from that down to the manageable amount of games that I'm actually going to be running, or at least I'm, I'm hoping to. So let's talk about that now. So over Christmas, um, I had uh, family in town and I had my son in town up until uh, December, until December, until uh, Boxing Day, at which point he went home to um, uh, spend that week with his mom and his stepdad. And I had the house to myself, myself and my dog. And that gave me a plenty of opportunity to think about what games uh, I wanted to run in 2019. And I inundated my regular players with a lot of emails with lists of, of what things I wanted to play or uh, what I wanted to run. Um, and part of that was driven by how many games we played in the previous year. You know, I, uh, as a result of a Twitter thread, I made a list of all the different games that I had run in uh, 2018. And it turns out like I ran close to 30 different types of games. Now of those, there's only a, a couple of them that we actually ran as campaigns or as fixed stories, you know, things where we started playing a game and ended playing a game with the end of a story. And uh, at first, the, the, the thing I took from that list was, holy shit, we can play a lot of games this year. So I made a list of games that I wanted to run that was probably about, I don't know, 15 or 16 games long. And this wasn't just a list of like, hey, I like this game. It was specifically games that I, I thought I could see us playing, you know, like there's something we could get out of this and something we could learn. This is a game I really want to, you know, get to the table and see what we, how we, how we uh, respond to it. And originally the plan was, was to use our uh, Wednesday. So we, my normal gaming group, we play on uh, every Wednesday and then we play every second Friday, uh, two hours on the Wednesdays, four hours on the Fridays. And then I'd run other games, you know, on and off. I had some charity games that I, uh, I ran for folks who contributed to the uh, Heroes Save Villages charity campaign that we run on the channel, uh, on the YouTube channel. And uh, I ran for, um, let's see here, uh, and then just some other, just, you know, if I got a game and I really wanted to try it out, like Five Rings, it was the most recent of those, we'd run two sessions and just schedule those around our usual sessions. Uh, and honestly, I felt a little, uh, a little bit of... Um, not analysis paralysis, but like choice paralysis, where there was just too many damn games. And the amount of work that would be involved in getting many of those to the table or convincing my players to play would be just too daunting. And the other thing is, is my regular gaming group, we have really fallen in with our regular game into this open table kind of format. It's a closed, it's really kind of a closed table with rotating chairs is maybe a, a better way to put it because it's a fixed amount. You know, it's the, the regular players who I've played with since I was a, a kid uh, for the most part. And the that's the Barrel Maze campaign that I'm running. So the thing with the Barrel Maze campaign is there was, there's some story, you know, going on in it, but it's not the way that I run many other games where, you know, there is an ongoing sort of story. And, and it's, I don't mean that it's on railroads and the players only go through. I mean that we're following through decisions players are making and it's not just about, uh, you know, all going towards one specific singular goal every single session and then ending the session back in town like we do with uh, the Barrow Maze campaign. The Barrow Maze campaign, for those who are unfamiliar, is very much like the uh, a West Marches game with a set date for uh, when we play. And so that, to be honest, like, the idea of having to make up stuff for 
uh, and prepare stuff for an unknown number of players was really just, uh, it, it was, it was going to be too much. Like I would be spending all of my time and effort preparing this stuff to, on, on the off chance that players would play or the, the players would show up and then we'd actually play it. And I had a couple times in the end of 2018 where I did, someone said they were going to play. I prepared a special session for them. I spent an awful lot of time doing that. And then it turned out we couldn't actually play that session. So, um, knowing that time is, my time is limited and, you know, as I get more senior in my day job, that time does become more of a premium. So I do want to make sure I am spending the, I'm maximizing the amount of time uh, the, or maximizing the, the value from the time I spend in preparing things. So to that end, and remembering how much fun I did have playing with new people, I, I sat down and worked that list to a point where it was only people or only rather games that I really, really wanted to play, that I had a clear and specific vision of what I wanted to do with it and, and also reflected a variety of different tones and genres and styles of play. You know, I've really enjoyed running this open table uh, sandbox with Barrow Maze because it's very, very easy to prep. The system is very easy to prep. Um, but there's things I don't get with that, like the buildup of story consequence in the same way that I did with, say, like my Star Wars campaign that lasted for about a year and a half or you know, the sort of dramatic pacing that I would do in other games where I knew I could end on a cliffhanger because I have, would have the same players back the next week. That's not the case in our Baromites campaign because we've specifically structured it to allow for flexible, it's a different, you know, a, a group of players at the table uh, every time. So because of that, I picked up, I picked certain games to, to run. And uh, in addition to the Barrow Maze, if you're curious, the games I'm going to be running in 2019, um, in addition to my ongoing Barrow Maze campaign, running the uh, a kind of a, a clued-together version of uh, Scarlet Heroes and Revised Stars Without Number, that makes kind of a custom version of Scarlet Heroes, uh, I'm going to be running, let's see here, there's an Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game that I'm running on alternate Saturday mornings uh, that will, um, again, it's, it's an open table. That one's an open table thing. It's going to be a hex crawl. Uh, the players, I've, I've drawn up a map. I've set a scale for it. I've done some um, background work, and I've got about six players right now for it. Oh, one second here. So, sorry, that uh, is a... Uh, open table game where it's going to be different. Um, it may be different players at the table each time, but it's going to be them going out and exploring this map. You know, there's a, a bunch of different secrets I've written out there and I've got a, what I think is a pretty clever kind of conceit behind the structure of the whole thing. But it sounds, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. And I really, really, really enjoy that game. Like it's, um, as far as the OSR games go, uh, it's one of my favorites. Uh, there's one I really don't know. I mean, maybe it's tied with it, but uh, Adventure Conqueror King is another one I just love. I'm not running that in the beginning of 2019 because I've got other games I'd like to focus on. But um, that certainly still has my uh, my heart as, <laughs> I think, my favorite of the OSR uh, games tied with Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers, but they do different things. Uh, Adventure Conqueror King is the go-to thing. I can run a bunch of different games and different settings uh, using uh, OSR style of rules. Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers is a clear 
articulation of a specific type of play using that type of game. You know, it has a distinct um, swords and sorcery and Lovecraftian horror and weird fiction combined, you know, combining to this amazing, unique setting. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to that one. That's going to be a relatively easy. With the front-end work done to set that, you know, game into motion, it will be easy to, to get it going. And I'm interested to see what the players do with the setting. You know, it's a bunch of players. Uh, What's well, a mix of players, some of which I have played before in one-shots and some who I've never uh, played with before. So it'll be, I'm going to be in interested to see where that campaign goes. And I expect it's going to be the same reward for me as a DM in terms of seeing what happens as uh, I get out of the Barrel Maze campaign. Um, another thing I'm, on a completely different, more structured perspective, I'm going to be running the Starfinder role-playing game, the uh, game that's based on the Pathfinder, uh, running through an adventure, well, at least the first adventure in the adventure path called Against the Aeon Throne. And uh, for those unfamiliar with Starfinder, Starfinder is a very tactically um, in-depth game with a... Uh, it's kind of a unique mix of science fantasy that has, you know, elements of other existing sci-fi properties in it, as well as many of the D&D &D sensibilities, but really combined to be its own thing. I, I, I really find it a, a compelling and interesting setting that, because of its unique nature, uh, it's not a generic sci-fi game like Traveler or like uh, Stars Without Number. It really is its own thing. And uh, I just love it. Like, there's so many things in elements in the setting that I find incredibly inspiring that I really want to at least get it to the table. The reluctance I've had to get it to the table for a long time has been because of the complexity. I get, I, I, I don't like how slow the combat seems to feel or has felt in Pathfinder at times. But, you know, there, I, I'm wondering whether with the right group, and what I'm, I'm expecting is that with the right group who knows the rules, who really takes the time to engage with that stuff, that it will run fast at the table, or at least it will run at a pace where people are not bored and checking their phones and stuff like that. You know, it, I don't have to have it at the, the pace of a, um, uh, some of the other games that I run that have a more breakneck kind of feel to it. It can run with the tactical complexity that is uh, in the game because the players will know how to make best use of that stuff. And I guess that part is partly informed by my perspective as a player. As a player in a game like that, I would love to, to you know, to, to play in it because I am the kind of player who would engage with that level of tactical depth and the level of character customization. I'd still love to role play and interact with the world as well, but, you know, I want to, I want to run that, uh, um, I, I would want to, to play with that level of, of depth in a game. So to that end, I, like I put together, uh, rather than just running it for my usual group, I, I told the regular group, this is what I'm planning on playing. Here's what I'm planning on playing it. Let me know if you're interested. But otherwise, I'm gonna be, I found a bunch of other people to play with. So there's, uh, I just posted a general looking for group, explained what I'm going to be playing, you know, included links to the YouTube channel so they could see what kind of DM I am. And uh, yeah, I've got a group of, of uh, players that it looks like I'm going to have a full group already. So that's going to be a really interesting to see as well. And I think that will be uh, likewise not an enormous amount of work on a day-to-day -day basis for me because I, uh, I'm running an adventure path. I know, you know, I've got all that, that material there. Another game I'm running is 
Delta Green, the Call of Cthulhu meets X-Files game that um, I have, uh, uh, so that, that uh, was published by Arc Dream Publishing. Uh, this is something I've been, I've been involved with and loved since the original uh, Call of Cthulhu supplement called uh, Delta Green uh, came out. And uh, it's, um, it's such an, a different approach and different style of play from most other games that I run, partly because it's more of an investigative horror conspiracy game, and partly because, you know, the players, they're, they're not getting any special powers. They're not getting levels. They're not, you know, um, going to get different items. The play, or the story and uncovering the mystery, that's the reason to play. Like, that's the reward for it. Um, and for this particular campaign, I approached two different players in my group who regularly make every Wednesday session. And I made this pitch to them. I said, guys, here's what I'd like to do is structure this like a TV show. Do this in a way where there's going to be a seasonal arc in terms of the story. And I'm, we're just going to let that play out and, and we'll figure out when the end is. It's not going to be a set number of episodes because I don't want to force it to the conclusion, but we're going to hit the ending of the season when it, uh, it makes narrative sense to make an end to the season. But what it'll feature is two stars, and that's going to be my players Jeff and uh, Dave Forche. Uh, they're going to be playing FBI agents who are the stars, you know, quote-unquote stars of this series. And any other players who are going to jump into this will be guest stars. They'll be jumping in, and the onus will be on them to sort of... I'm going to give them, you know, enough hooks to make their participation in the game interesting, but it's largely going to be adding to the overall conspiracy and mystery that the players will be uncovering. In addition, I'm going to try and make it, what I decided is, to make this a way for the viewers to be more engaged with the game too, because they're going to be able to help the players. I'm setting up a, a MeWe group where the um, uh, viewers can join and post stuff too as well to try and help the players, you know, uncover the mystery uh, during actual play. They're going to be able to message the players as well, and when it's appropriate for the story, I'll flip that stuff over to them as well, uh, as much as I can, as in-universe, you know, uh, resources, where it's part of the Delta Green conspiracy or organization feeding things to the players of, hey, did you consider this? And the other thing that, that I think that that does, well, there's a couple things I think it does for the viewers, is one, it rewards regular viewing. You know, if you're viewing the campaign, there's more you're going to get out of that than just watching a bunch of yahoos play a game. Uh, you're also going to have a chance to actually help solve that mystery, uh, not only in the you know in seeing it uncover, but when the players forget something from an earlier episode, say the the viewers will hopefully be able to say, "Hey, remember you met so and so here." So that allows me to just throw the stuff out, you know, these breadcrumbs out, and if my players don't remember, the characters obviously would. The viewers can help the players remember that stuff or help them puzzle through it. So. I think it's going to make for a really unique style of play, and I've got some pretty interesting twists in mind for this. Uh, and there's going to—it's going to include like there's going to be um, secrets and or things that are going to come out in tweets, things that are going to come out on the YouTube, uh, rather on the MeWe um, uh, group, where there will be like documents uncovered or, or whatever, and it will be up to the players and the. Um, the uh, viewers at home to help 
you know, figure out what this story actually is and what this conspiracy actually is. And along the way, we'll, we'll play it just like any other game where we're going to see what happens to the players. And the reason I think that Delta Green is particularly good for this is because of this mechanic called bonds. So Delta Green is very much like any other kind of basic role-playing or Call of Cthulhu-style game where it is, um, you know, it's, it's an investigation and it uses uh, deep, or you have a sanity score that is tracked as you get exposed to the unnatural, you lose sanity and it goes down. Um, but also you, um, you resolve all task resolution through, you know, uh, percentile dice. One of the things that, that Delta Green introduces is this idea of bonds, things that are kind of like your touchstones to sanity. It's your family. It's your best friend from military service. It's your spouse. It's your, you know, church. Uh, so those bonds can be ways to mitigate sanity losses. You can uh, have those, you know, um, basically become like sinks. And there's also a mechanic for downtime, basically between investigations for you to do things like try and reestablish links with bonds or conduct investigations that will also have an impact on your bond. And um, it's really... I love that. I think it's a really clever mechanical way of reflecting the wider life of an investigator. And it can, I think, make the campaign a very personal campaign if you choose to beef up that stuff and, and rely on that stuff. You know, um, there's an old kind of joke about uh, the, in the, you know, from people who play in the hero system about uh, what used to be called DNPCs. They were dependent NPCs. It was a, a drawback you had in Champions or in other hero games that um, basically were like your Mary Janes or your Lois Lanes or, or whatever. They were the person who routinely got into trouble and, and drove the, the story sometimes. They were like Robin the Boy hostage. Uh, for th this, though, I'm not going to necessarily use the, the bonds just as, as that or as, you know, like... Um, an opportunity to do a fridging of, uh, of the you know, supporting characters or the, the uh, wives or children or whatever of the characters. But what I'm, I think it's going to do is give some opportunities to have the players explore that part of the, uh, you know, of their character, if, if it interests them. Um, and I think that might, that, that'll be different. I mean, like, I, I honestly don't know just how interesting that will be for the players, but... Um, I'm going to see, you know, we're going to see whether those bonds can also give opportunities to do things that don't necessarily relate to the overall plot, you know, to, to, tr to deal with problems that have come up with the, you know, uh, the real life and how, you know, that real life drama contrasts with the Lovecraftian horror conspiracy that they're uncovering in the course of the campaign play. And, you know, I'm thinking like, uh, it'll be sort of like a, cons you know, a uh, procedural. Uh, well, actually, a, a more recent procedural that I uh, saw like this was uh, in Netflix's series Mindhunters, where it's um, the it, it follows the development of the behavioral crimes uh, unit of the FBI, and you see the impact of you know immersing himself with the mind or in the minds of serial killers on this one uh, character in that series, and I, I'm sort of seeing it potentially being something like that. So, yeah, so I mean, that, that's going to be really interesting for a number of different reasons. And it'll satisfy a different kind of itch for me, both in terms of setting and genre sensibilities 
and the way I'm approaching the campaign. Now that one's going to be a bit of an uh, a bit of an improvised conspiracy campaign, and and I'll I don't want to say say more about that, but it likewise should not require an awful lot of preparation on my part. And the final game uh, that I have slated for 2019 right now is a bi-weekly Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition campaign. Um, at the time of recording, it's been about a month since the 4th edition of the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game came out. Uh, it's now published by Cubicle 7. And while I'm not an expert on, you know, Warcraft, on Warcraft, on the Warhammer kind of lore, you know, like I haven't read any of the novels. I I really didn't get very much into 2nd edition Warhammer. I did, I have everything. I got a complete set of 3rd edition products which is largely based on the fact that I, uh, my first, or the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I believe was the fourth role-playing game I owned. Uh, my first was D&D, second was Champions, third was Marvel Superheroes, and uh, Warhammer Fantasy was my, I believe, my fourth. Either that or um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness or Robotech. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, Warhammer, actually, no, that's right, Robotech was my fourth, uh, Fantasy was my fifth. But anyway, like, it's a game that I've read so much that the spine fell apart on my first edition. I, I enjoyed that game, I only ran it a handful of times, but it's a game I always went back to, always read, and it really informed a lot of my sensibilities as a DM, as a player, and whatnot. And this new, um, edition gripped me in a way that... Very few games have, you know, um, the most recent uh, time that's happened is the Legend of the Five Rings game by Fantasy Flight. It just, it was so beautiful and so um, inventive and interesting. I just, I really needed to get it to the table. Uh, one of the last times that happened actually was the Iron Kingdoms role-playing game. Uh, it came out at a time when really 4th edition or Pathfinder were the only kind of um, uh, obvious games in town. And that game really gripped me in a, in a way that, uh, that very similar to what Warhammer 4th has done. And uh, interestingly enough, a lot of the materials that I used to run my Iron Kingdoms campaign was repurposed Warhammer stuff. So even the sensibilities of the adventures and using the resources to set up a, that particular game, which was very much kind of a sandbox game as well, that really, um, that uh, sort of primed me, I guess, to just totally fall in love with this new edition and I the reasons I love this new edition are partly the, the I mean the things that have been most always a part of Warhammer which is to say the sort of like semi-realistic you know late medieval setting the kind of dark but with a sense of humor sensibilities the profession system which is awesome uh, and then the newest edition incorporates some ideas that I, I feel like were borrowed from some of Cubicle 7's other games, which is to say some of the um, dice me or the fate mechanics and, and so forth from like, um, uh, what is it, uh, One Ring, the Middle-Earth role-playing game, and uh, Doctor Who, uh, to be honest, uh, which has some great uh, dice mechanic uh, intrusions type stuff, uh, like action point type mechanics that I feel were maybe borrowed and repurposed to suit the Warhammer uh, role-playing game. But... That game is, um, yeah, I really just, like, I, I read through that entire book over the break and just loved it. Like, I couldn't wait to uh, 
to start getting some characters uh, together for that. And um, knowing how much uh, fun I had running the Iron Kingdoms game, which was, again, largely based on repurposed Warhammer fantasy stuff, I, I really could not wait to, to get that to the table. And actually more so than even the 3rd edition. I, I enjoyed 3rd edition an awful lot, but because of the amount of, you know, proprietary dice and the use of cards and tokens and stuff like that, it's a really, really hard game to run online, which is where I run almost all of my role-playing games. So that game, while I, I love it, 3rd edition, and... Uh, I like, you know, I, I look forward to playing that at some point again, or running that at some point again. Fourth edition just satisfied so many. It felt very much like coming home, but in a very fresh new way. Uh, so I really couldn't wait to, to look forward to getting that to the table. Um, so that's going to be on my alternate Fridays, and that was really just me following the impetus or rather the enthusiasm that I have for a game. When when a game hits me and I really love it, and I really just you know, I, um, I, I can't wait to, to try playing some of that stuff at the table. That normally carries over to my players, you know. Um, I, they can, even if they're lukewarm on the game uh, or the setting, usually I can find some way to find a fun way of presenting it to the players. So, so that's going to be, uh, I think, going to be interesting. And that's one where I am actually doing very little play. I've done no campaign prep for it right now. I know that it's going to be set in the Reichland, which is the information that's in the core rulebook. But I have no idea what it's going to be about. I'm going to just see what the, we're going to use session zero to create characters, and we'll just see what I come up with. You know, what, what do I want to do with this game now that I've met these characters? Because that's actually another thing that I have realized, too, is that when I feel stuck in terms of like writer's block for a campaign or a story or whatever, uh, for any game I run in future, what I'm going to do is sit down and make a character. Because doing that in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea for the two different one-shots that I've run in the last little while, it has jacked my enthusiasm for that game through the stratosphere. You know, knowing what kind of cool characters can come to the table, it gets me thinking about what kind of adventures they could be on, and then that just spurns my imagination for preparing the, uh, what I, you know, what I want to throw at them. Um, so that's what I've got for, uh, for Warhammers. I'm just going to see who these characters are, and then let that inform what the campaign will be about. Uh, you know, I have told a story before about the Iron Kingdoms campaign, which was that I prepared a specific sort of, you know, adventure for that, and after two and a half years of bi-weekly play, we never got to the second act of the actual adventure. We played a whole bunch of other things that happened, but we never actually got to what was the intended sort of second act of that first adventure. And that was awesome. Like, it was so much fun to just explore whatever the characters want or to come up with an idea that I was like, oh, that's spurned an idea for an adventure, so I'll throw that together, and that's what we're doing next session. That's what I'm hoping to do with this, is that kind of urgent, to-the-moment kind of, uh, you know, following what the interest the players in terms of the story, uh, let that sort of guide how I'm going to structure that campaign. So... That will give me another different way of exploring the, you know, exploring uh, the possibilities, I guess, of gaming. That may be the most flaky thing I've said. Uh, certainly the most flaky thing I've said in 2019, but that's something I, I want to embrace with that campaign, is let the story go kind of where the players are going. And it's not going to be a sandbox where there's a map and they're going to go and explore. Like, there will be 
stories going on in the same way that like uh, a pre-written module has a story arc to it. But uh, but it's going to be an improvised story kind of campaign, if that makes any sense. So um, so that's what I got on the agenda is a couple of really exciting uh, games. And that came from the that Dark Knight of the Soul, you know, searching of just feeling overwhelmed by those games and then thinking about it clearly in terms of, all right, what is it I'm specifically expecting from these things at the table? Not, boy, this is a fun read, or boy, this has got some neat monsters in it, or wow, that's a cool story. Or um, what holistically do I expect to see at the table from the DM's perspective, from the player's perspective, and what do I expect them to do in that? And that's what's helped me get to the point where I've got a manageable list of five different games I'm going to be running uh, on a monthly basis and, you know, at different times during the month. And that's got me really excited for, for 2019. So that's what I'm doing in 2019. And I think I may have, unfortunately, answered the last two parts of my question. So it was the, what I got planned for 2019 and what led to that planning. So maybe it's time to head to the outro. So that's what I got planned for uh, 2019, a couple, uh, at least on the YouTube channel. Um, one thing I didn't mention, which, you know, obviously is germane to this particular podcast, is what my plans are for the podcast. Uh, so for this year, what I'm going to do is try and guarantee a new episode every two weeks. Um, I have thought about doing it on a weekly basis, but what I want to make sure is that I have something useful to say, or at least something I find, I, I feel comfortable posting as something useful to say. I don't want to post every week just for the sake of posting every week, because those will not, I don't necessarily have something to say every week. And that said, I will be posting when I've got something to say. And I think one of the uh, things that will be helpful with this particular uh, slate of games uh, in the new year is I'm going to have a lot of different, uh, or exposure to a lot of different game styles and um, yeah, and I mean, and a lot of different ideas of how to approach uh, gameplay. So that's that's pretty exciting. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say as well is that um, if you are interested in playing in a game with me, one of the things I, I, I set out uh, in the end of 2019 or 18 was um, I was talking to a friend and uh, I had mentioned to him about, he, he had asked if, oh, do you think uh, so-and-so could play in our Delta Green game? I said, oh, of course. I mean, he, he's always welcome at my table because he had played in uh, this particular uh, player, had played in one of my other games. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, like anyone who's played in one of my games, all they need to do is ask. As long as I got space in a game, I'm, I'm more than happy to include people in, uh, you know, at my table. And uh, his response was, yeah, people don't assume that. That's, that's not an assumption that anyone makes because, you know, pe people are just... Um, uh, you know, and to be honest, I'm a dummy because I don't know if I would make that assumption. Just because I played with someone one time, I don't assume that they're going to, you know, invite me back uh, another or I would be welcome back another time. So one of my resolutions was to make it clear to not only people I played with, but other people, I guess, that, you know, you're welcome at my table. If I've got space, you know, um, I like the idea. The, the initial title for my Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign was Orphans of Hyperborea. With the idea being that if you don't have a table to play at, if you got if you love this game and you want to play, you can find a place at my table. And uh, I'm applying that to really all of my games. So long as there's 
you know, um, you're able to meet the expectations, I guess, of the game, uh, then there's a space at the table for you. So with that in mind, if any listener would like to join in one of my games in uh, 2019, uh, my Warhammer game has at least three spots open still. So if you are interested in playing Warhammer 4th Edition, uh, we are going to be playing on Fridays from 8 to 11 Central Time, starting on Friday, January 18th. And uh, if you're interested in playing in Starfinder, uh, I still have a space open in that game and at the time of recording. And that game is played every two weeks on Sunday from, I believe it's 1 Central Time until 4 Central Time p.m. on every second Sunday starting on January 28th. And uh, for both of those games, the only thing I I ask is that um, you try to meet... 75% of the sessions. As long as you can make 75% of the sessions, life comes up and sometimes you're going to miss them. That's fine. Um, But so long as you're making those sessions, that will uh, allow us to to really build some story momentum and keep playing with the same group as well. Um, But if you've got a more flexible schedule, or rather a more inconsistent schedule, the Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign is open. It's an open table. So if you're interested in playing in that, that is played every two weeks on Saturday mornings from, oh boy, I believe it's 8 central time. It's either 8 or 9 central time, uh, and it's 3 hours as well to like 11 or noon central time. It might be 9 to noon central time, but anyway, it's one of those times every two weeks, and that's an open table. I'm going to set a cap at uh, 6 players just to make sure there's a manageable amount. I don't, you know, if it, I want to make sure it's a good experience for everyone who shows up. But if you're interested in playing uh, in any of those games... You can reach me either on the, the Anchor Podcast here, or you can shoot me a tweet at Dungeon Musings on Twitter, or shoot me an email at dungeonmusings at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, those are the ways to reach me. If you want to learn more about those games too, uh, or about the uh, campaigns, shoot me a line, or you can check out on uh, Gmail, uh, sorry, G+, or on MeWe. I post there under Dungeon Musings. And uh, you can find a full list of all the information about the, um, the session. So, and all these will be uh, streamed as well, too. So the, uh, you'll, uh, if you're not comfortable having your face on camera, you, you can turn your camera off. You don't need to worry about that. But uh, it, I, I find that it's, it's been pretty fun getting uh, feedback and, and some interplay with uh, the folks at home as we've been playing those. So if you haven't had that opportunity yet... That's a kind of a fun way to sort of play in front of a, a very, very modest size crowd. So anyway, so that's what we got for 2019. Let's get to the outro, outro properly. Okay, so that's what I've got planned for uh, 2019. And those are some opportunities to uh, play with yours truly if you are so inclined. Uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding uh, this uh, podcast, please don't hesitate to shoot me a line on one of those venues that I just mentioned, on Twitter, on uh, Gmail, uh, or on uh, G, actually as G+, or as, as while it still lasts, uh, on MeWe, um, or you shoot me a message on um, Random Screed, or Random Screed, <laughs> on Jason's podcast, <laughs> on my own podcast. <laughs> Alternatively, if you do want to reach the, the uh, lovely and uh, personable Jason Hobbs, you can reach him on Random Screed. <laughs> Me, on the other hand, you probably want to send a message to this podcast, the Dungeon Musings podcast. So 
Anyway, I hope 2019 is off to a great start for everybody. Um, I hope to see some of you at the gaming table in the near future, either playing in one of your games or uh, you as a player in one of my games. And I hope that all of your gaming is good. Uh, take it easy, folks. Happy gaming. And thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.